Welcome, everyone, to the Animator's Guide to Virtual Reality. I'm your host, Rick Delishny. You can reach me at uh, rick at rd.xyz or on Twitter, rdxyz. Today's guest is Robert French. He's a seasoned software developer, game designer, and adjunct college professor who's been designing and developing for just over three decades. He's been an educator since the late 90s, and his fun and direct approach to everything he does is both efficient and effective. Robert has just recently incorporated a game studio, LiftLock Studios, and is in the process of rolling out his own podcast, which I'm very excited about, the indie game scene. We're going to talk about both of those on the show today, where he interviews the indie game makers of the world to gain insight into their successes and failures while providing a platform for them to be heard. We're just going to jump right in, Robert. Hello. Welcome to the show. Well, hello, Rick. It's a pleasure. It's great to finally connect with you. Again, uh, I have met so many incredibly talented people up in the Peterborough, Ontario, Canada area, and Robert, you're, you're one of them as well. It was uh, great that we finally got a chance to meet. In person. Exactly. Because yeah. we followed each other on Twitter forever, and it was just, it was just a matter of time. But uh, it's interesting how uh, in, in the virtual reality uh, is really bringing people together for me anyway, <laughs> and it brought us together too. For sure. For sure. It's also we're we're also in a, a couple of different meetup groups, I think, and connected that way. But my schedule doesn't always permit me to get out, and I think you have a similar scenario. Yeah, yeah. There's a bit of there's a bit of uh, commuting time. There's a bit of Toronto time in our world. I mean, we're certainly living uh, made some lifestyle decisions up here in Peterborough, and it is beautiful, and it's a great place to think and a great place to work. But uh, we do have to get to Toronto sometimes as well, so that really cuts into our into our schedules. And I want I want to find a little bit more about what it is that you do that brings you in and out of, out of Toronto and that. But uh, sure. tell us a little bit about, um, I'll give you the, the, the quick rundown, but um, I'm actually really, really excited for you. you. You've got your studio set up, or you were in the process of setting up yeah. your indie, indie game studio here in Peterborough, and that is very exciting. Tell me a little bit about what it is you're planning on doing and sort of give me the rundown of what you've got lined up. Yeah, for sure. So um, LiftLock Studios, I've it's been a couple of years coming. Uh, this year, I've I finally bit the bullet, filed filed all the paperwork, done the incorporation. Uh, just recently got the domain set up, so I'm not sure when when we go live, but the site may or may not be fully functional. Um, the goal is basically to just finally start rolling out games of a of a reasonable caliber that are a lot of fun to play and to leverage some of the the local talent. Uh, as well as some Toronto talent to to get that done. So that's that's the point in the in the game studio. And then uh, the other thing that really pushed it forward was we started recording for the indie game scene podcast. That's awesome. That's just great. How I landed the domain is completely beyond me. <laughs> that is very but, good. <laughs> uh, but it just kind of it just kind of worked out. I guess timing is everything, you know. Um, so I wanted to have that rolled in under an incorporation and not just out there kind of as a, a willy nilly thing. So that also pushed to, uh, to, to incorporate the studio as well. And that's kind of, that's good. And then of course by bringing in, you have such a vast knowledge and just so, just so we're clear. So, so Robert, you're a, you, you've got a number of balls in the air projects on the go right now, but you are a teacher. I am. You teach at Trios, which is, uh, I want you to sort of give us flesh out sort of sure. what you do, but you work at Trios, you teach at Trios, and you also teach at Humber College in Toronto. Yep. And uh, this is focused on, on games, and I'll let you tell me a little bit more about that too. Um, and you, you just, I'm really curious to hear, tell me about the course, and then also tell me about 
what the, some of your students are doing. And again, how is VR sort of igniting anything new that's maybe been on the horizon? Is it lighting up for you? But first, tell me a little bit about the schools. Sure. So um, Trios College is a, a private college. And I work out of the Toronto campus, so I'm right downtown Toronto, and I, I teach their video game development program in the evenings. So Trios is a it's an immersive model. It's not like the standard college model that you think about when you think about college or university. Uh, because they're a private college, when you go into a block, you study only that material for the duration of the block. And it, it gives students really a, a solid chance for them to grok or to, to – totally assimilate what it is they're learning and be able to apply it back. So, for example, um, at TRAS, we have a Unity block that's three months long. So that means the students are Monday to Friday, four hours a day, in class, building Unity. And and we, we break the three-month block into you know different segments, different modules. So we have a, a 2D module followed by a 3D module followed by a, a large project module. Now, the 2D module has its own project and the 3D module has its own project. So there's lots of projects that they're building and games that they're producing. But they don't have to, you know, go to math on Monday and physics on mm-hmm. Tuesday, C++ on Wednesday. They they are fully immersed. So that model I, I tend to prefer, which is which is why I've continued to work with that college for, you know, over six years now. Mm-hmm. So um that's that's kind of my go to place. You know, in the evenings I, I drive in, everybody's trying to get out of the city. The commute's not as bad as everybody thinks now. People living in Toronto that don't come out to the P dot all that often Everybody seems to think that we're really, really far away. And I know. It's just not the case. I mean, my, my best time is like an hour and five minutes. So, <laughs> and, and I'm not really speeding, you know, no. any more than anybody else. I'm just driving with the flow of traffic. So as exactly. long as there's no, there's no bottlenecks or holdups with construction or any of, you know, the lovely commute things that we face every day. Um, the commute really isn't that bad. Humber, um, which is the other college that I teach at, also in their video game program. Now at Humber, they're a public college. So they do have, you know, math on Monday and physics on Tuesday and C++ on Wednesday. And the courses that I teach there are very limited. In both cases, I'm what you refer to as a, an adjunct professor. And okay. it's, it's really just a fancy way of saying this is a part-time dude who's been at it for more than 10 years who is not on any type of tenure track. He's right. he's not here to, to ride coattails. He's just here to show up and, and teach some kids some good solid understanding. So that's that's my draw to teaching. I always tell everybody that uh, teaching is really my reward to myself because watching a light bulb go on over somebody's head and and seeing them get an aha moment is is it's genuinely priceless to know yeah. that you had an impact and, yeah. and that you're helping them. And I usually remain friends or colleagues of my graduates for years and years and years afterwards. And, you know, sometimes we end up doing business together down the road and sometimes we don't. We just stay in touch. But it's always nice to see them pass the guard, so to speak, where they, they learn more in a given field or an area than, than I know about. And then I'm like, oh, that's awesome. Well, you know. We can sit down and have a conversation about that or I'll, I'll bring them into a class to talk to the class or, you know. So that's, you know, those, those are the two, the two teaching gigs. Uh, Humber's seasonal, so it's, you know, semester-based. It changes. Mm-hmm. And Trios is 12 months a year, continuous over and over and over again. It's almost like the Trios model is, is almost in programming. We have boot camps where – you go and yep. you're a little more focused for a few months, and yep. when you're when you're done that module, um, you are by all counts a, an expert in that subject matter. 
Yeah, well, I mean, well, maybe the not term, an expert, but you, yeah, you, the term you're focused. Yeah, absolutely. The term, the term expert. I think the rule is ten thousand hours. And I mean, mm. whether it's a two year program or a three year program, Trias has a two year program, Humber is a three year program. In either of those cases, that's not ten thousand hours, and you're not an expert in anything. But in both yeah. of those cases, um, you do come out of the program with a really good understanding of not only how to build games and and different technologies, but also what parts of the field you're interested in. I mean, video game development or video game design have so many sub you know fields or categories to them that it's it's really ridiculous so sure. somebody somebody looking out from uh, or looking in from the outside can feel really overwhelmed quite easily and both both models they they address different types of personalities some people would rather have the more social uh, college experience in which case they're going to be looking at the public colleges Somebody, somebody else might have uh, a desire to just learn this stuff, in which case they're not going to go to college at all because, you know, it's the video game industry and it's not like, it's not like there's a, a certification for that. It's, it's proof that you can do something. So some people just have the discipline to not go to college at all and do it 100% themselves. And some people just want, they, they want to have the structure so that they're forced to go in somewhere and that they have, you know, a small group of people that they can they can talk to, and that that tends to be the private model where the class sizes are a lot smaller. Right. Exactly. So, in in all of those cases, though, they they come out with pretty good knowledge, and they are all in in all cases, regardless of the college. And it's not just for the the two colleges I teach at. I know um, profs at other colleges as, as well, and it's the same there. They come out pretty well rounded, and you know, we're always pushing them to participate in the in the social aspects of the, of the of the scene itself you know if it's uh the toronto game jam or uh great canadian apathon or global game jam those things all happen outside of school and we always push the students to participate in them just because the synergy that happens at those events is is off the charts you know right? what i'm glad you brought that up because that was one of the things i wanted to ask you about I, our, our one of our previous guests vincent in, in british columbia went over and rattled off just <clears throat> a handful, uh, half a dozen of events that were uh, uh, virtual reality and immersive reality and augmented reality um, related out in BC. Uh, BC, it's huge. Yep. Um, what's what's going on in Ontario? What's going on specifically in Toronto that your students are you push your students to, or what are they talking about? Or in so, terms of virtual reality, what kind of community do we have support right now in Toronto? See, and I don't I don't know about the specific you know die-hard virtual reality community, but I do know that it is definitely ingrained in video games. Mm-hmm. Um, the the big monthly thing that happens in Toronto is the Unity Dev Meetup, which typically happens at Yukon Games, which is a small studio in Toronto. And they've managed to get in good with Unity themselves. So um, early, early beta versions of Unity, sometimes the guys from Unity will actually come out to the Meetup and demo what's coming in the next releases or what's going on. So we we know about um, Oculus Rift is getting its own little tick box in the camera controller to automatically have the camera support the virtual reality tied to, to Oculus. Yeah. Uh, there's suspicion that the same thing is going to happen with the Valve VR set based on the, the, you know, the buzz that's going around on the internet right now. So that's one of the social events that I always insist my students go to, especially if we're in a unity block, like, you know, go, go there, tell me that you're going there and verify that you're there. And Mm -hmm. I'll, I'll find a way to make sure that you get 
credit for that or you can come back and talk to us about what was learned and you know share the the, the knowledge that's great we'll um, have links to all this in the show notes too oh, I, for sure. sure yeah uh, what, what tell me about <laughs> Now I, I should make it, should have made this clear from the top. I mean, we we've discussed virtual reality offline before the podcast today, and you've got some 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 different opinion. You've got some strong opinions on VR and augmented reality. That maybe don't line up exactly with me, but I actually thought it was actually it was very very interesting to hear your perspective on things. Tell me a little bit about sort of sort of the hype and the reality as you see it right now. Uh, yeah, no. what's happening in VR and, and specifically AR. Maybe just give people a heads up on what uh, augmented reality is. Absolutely. Um, so it's not it's not that we don't share the same excitement. I think we definitely share the same excitement. I would love nothing more than to see VR become a household a household thing. Okay. Um, I'm a little bit older, so I remember VR. <laughs> I remember, and and I remember very very clearly how excited I was as a as a kid about VR and I remember the problems and I remember that the main problems were a sense of vertigo. Um, people would get dizzy. People wouldn't like the way that it felt. So I think for the most part, we've solved kind of that problem. But then the other problem was people didn't want to stay in this environment that was closed off from the rest of the world for any length of time. And from a psychology standpoint, that kind of makes sense. I mean, we're as a species a little bit paranoid. So if you well, I think you made an example earlier. If I might be stealing your thunder here, but I thought it was it was amazing. Like, who's stealing my purse? Right? Who's who's who's, stealing my wallet? Kind of thing. Who who just who just mugged me, and I don't know about it. Or the picture that's on the internet right now, floating around of Zuckerberg walking by a thousand people strapped into these Samsung units, and and these people don't realize Mark Zuckerberg is just walk right past them. Right. I mean, we've already we're not in virtual reality yet, but take a walk down Toronto and look at the number of people not paying attention because they're staring at their mobile devices. Mm-hmm. Um, so virtual reality, <laughs> I think I think that uh, amidst all the hype and all of the great things that are happening, the, the truth is, A, the technology hasn't really moved that far. I mean, GPUs have have definitely improved and processing speed has definitely increased. Um, but other than that, and that's not directly related to the VR, I think the augmented reality, the, the AR stuff has me more excited because you do get to see the real environment around you. And I just, I have a sneaking suspicion that that will be the technology that lands on top ultimately. I think that right now we're at an interesting place where everybody's all excited about VR and everybody's all, you know, oh, this, this company's making talks with this company and there's going to be a deal for this and this is going to be amazing. And, and I look at that and I think back to project Natal and I think Mm -hmm. to what connect actually rolled out as for those, for those listening that don't know project Natal was the original code name given to connect. And, and what was Microsoft Xbox product? That's the Microsoft Xbox product. Absolutely. And, and what, what they promised versus what they delivered was quite disappointing. And I worry that the same thing is going on with HoloLens where there's all of these promises happening that we'll get a portion of them rolled out in, in, uh, in practice when, whenever the units are actually available and price ready. That's the other point is price point, right? In order for this to be widely adopted, the price point needs to come way down. Yeah, but you and I have been around long enough to see uh, technology come out that – didn't really live up to its uh, its its uh, potential, and it was pricey and buggy and a bit of a disappointment. But then 
the prices go down, it becomes mass market, and then it hits the mainstream. So we're kind of cautiously optimistic. Maybe we, we've been here before, though, Robert. We've, we've sort of seen absolutely the promise and, and the delivery <laughs> and the, and the uh, disappointment sometimes. Um, so that's kind of how I'm feeling right now about this. And I mean, I've seen a lot of tech sort of come and get people get excited. And I'm like, I'm not in, like, I'm not really too in because I've sort of seen this before and I've seen people get disappointed, but I don't know, there's something about this that's uh, feeling a little more, uh, there's, there's something coming around the, the, the just over the horizon. We haven't seen it yet. Now, you, you tell me a little more about AR. Is there anything in particular, have you seen an installation or seen an app that really caught your imagination or are you hearing about something? Well, actually, a couple of years ago, there was a company in Toronto um, called ARB Labs, and they're still around. Yeah. They've, they've just kind of switched their focus. They were working at one point on, on, um, on a projection slash yeah, – you know the Leap Motion, the, the yeah. device that, that you put your hands out of? Tracks your hands. Yeah. yeah, it tracks your hands motion. So they, they had produced a prototype of something similar to that in this projection screen – um, so it was like in the middle of the middle of a room, there would be what appeared to be like a hologram, but you could walk up and interact with it. But they they seem to have switched from that to basically a motion set library um, designed specifically for the Connect. That that kind of caught my attention. There was also a um, at the car show a few years ago. There was a an augmented reality display that that I think Ford had. Uh, I want to say Volvo, but maybe Volvo. But you know, Ford, or Ford, and Volvo, Ford and Volvo aren't they sort of they could R and D together? So yeah, go on. Yeah, yeah, so, hmm. so there was there was this display that kind of had my excitement as well. I just think that augmented reality seems to be the shorter path to our our proverbial desire for a holodeck. Hmm. Um, you know, rather than have to build the room that has all the sensors and the projectors in it, eh, you put the projectors on your face and. You know, so it's like why 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 create a world that's covered completely in soft leather when you can just put shoes on your feet? Um, mm-hmm. You know, to to stop yourself from stepping on sharp objects. So I just I think that in my opinion, and that's all this is really is just in my opinion, I think that the augmented reality has a a, a better staying power to it than the virtual reality. I think virtual reality is is more inclined. To become a tool set for designers and developers. Yeah, and a couple of really interesting articles I've read about uh, using VR to design games and using VR to design walkthroughs or things of that nature. And I think as a tool set, it definitely has some some great merit to be explored. What do you What do you mean by that? Do you mean design games within a game? Yeah. So instead of instead of sitting at the computer keyboard with your mouse in your hand building out your level, you yeah. would strap on some VR and based on the motions of your hands or the units in your hands and how you're turning them, you would be able to build the level from inside the level. That and seems they, to make really good sense to me. Yeah, me too. Like when I was reading these articles, I was like, yeah, <laughs> that's that's the way you want to go about it. That's that's good thinking because then you're then you're able to better inspect the level. You end up with fewer you know, little snags in the level that cause grief or things that you don't catch until later in polish stages. Um, I think you would catch them a lot sooner. I think it might expedite the process as well. It, yeah, it might. Now, going back to the AR, though, and you mentioned the, the Ford display. Do, do you recall, were you there? Like, do you recall what was it that, that, what were they doing 
I, I wasn't there. I watched a video oh, okay. clip. I wa- I had watched a video clip. Somebody was there and they recorded it on their phone and posted okay. it somewhere. I'll have to see if I can find the link for you, Rick. All right. It was it was basically you could walk up to this display that was over a table and it had a vehicle, but you could reach into the display and grab the the model that was being uh, displayed and mm. they had somehow managed to provide a tactile feedback. So oh. the person that was reaching into the display could feel the model, not a hundred percent opaque, but with like slight sensations, they could feel the model was there and then they could interact with it. And, and there was no, um, it was just a projection system, like similar mm. to, to what ARB labs had been doing. Right. So, or what leap motion has accomplished just with a, some kind of tactile feedback attached to it as well. Add on to that. Yeah, for sure. And, and it just, it melted my brain. It was one of those things <laughs> that you see that you're like, Oh my, what is that? And when is that coming to the mainstream? Tell me, you are really well connected again in the in the game indie games industry. Um, who have you? Who do you associate with? Maybe you maybe throw your card in terms of your next in, uh, guests on your podcast. But who are the movers and shakers, sort of in the VR AR world, and that maybe attached to the game scene right now? And, and also, so think of your students too. What are the, what are some of the students doing that maybe has caught your eye? So I've got a couple of students. Um that right now they're getting ready to release a game for the Wii U. Um, they managed to get in with Nintendo. So, so the game, they're taking advantage of the, the secondary screen as far as I know. I don't know a whole lot because that's actually really quite a coup, isn't it? And it's Nintendo really difficult to get a dev sign on with. Well, I had thought so as well, but it started when they were a student. They, they actually reached out to Nintendo just on a whim and were like, Hey, I'm a student and I'm interested in developing Mm. for Nintendo. And it turns out Nintendo came back and sent them a URL and they signed up. And within a couple of months were a registered Nintendo developer. And then Nintendo sent them a key and a special version of unity, I guess that unlocks the Nintendo stuff on it. And then they had told them, you know, if you, uh, if you have colleagues that want, just, you know, let us know ahead of time and we'll keep our eye on the queue for these people that you name and get them through faster. And this one student actually managed to get a whole bunch of students in and then upon graduating went and incorporated a company. It's uh, PyWave, PyWave Interactive. Okay. What's his name? Uh, so Richard Owls, and he's he's an up-and-comer as far as I'm concerned. He's he's a really hard work and young guy with a lot of good game ideas. So it'll be interesting to see how they unfold over the next year or so. And I know that he's also interested in, in the VR scene and I think he might be, and this is just hearsay, Mm -hmm. but I think he might be kind of on the side exploring for one of his next titles. I know that they're working pretty hard right now on a title for the, for the Wii U, but um, so he's definitely somebody that I would keep an eye on, or I can provide some contact information if you want to reach out to him, Rick. I'm sure he would love to talk. Love to, yeah. Um, another person that I think is really on top of VR or aware of the VR in not just the, the game scene, but also in the entertainment scene would be uh, Bud Lamb from Devnall Studios. And Bud Devnall uh, is a game studio, but he also has um, a part ownership in a production house. I can't think of the name of it at the moment, but so he's kind of cross, he's crossed the gap between just video game company. Um, the other side of the studio does, you know, commercials and animations and all of that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so he also, I think has his fingertips in the VR 
pot, but I haven't actually sat down to talk to him about VR stuff. We've we've talked business, and I've interviewed him for the podcast. He'll be one of the early episodes. Ah, perfect. That, uh, that comes out on the indie game scene. IndieGameScene.com. No, what was it again? IndieGameScene.com? Yeah, IndieGameScene.com, <laughs> yeah. Come on, and, do and it. Yeah. IndieGameScene.com. Yeah. Um, that's, that's those two. And then for the studio that I've just incorporated in Peterborough here, it's LiftLockStudios.com. That's right. What else? What else? Uh, well, that's actually a pretty good lineup for uh, uh, some success stories from your students. Um, yeah, I, I. So tell me, sort of, where we're heading. What's what's coming up in terms of gaming and VR? What are you seeing on the horizon? Well, I think that we're going to see a big influx, especially once um, Steam rolls out. I mean, Steam seems to be the the kind of company that when they say they're going to do it, they just kind of do it. Um, they don't necessarily do it with a whole bunch of fanfare. They, you hear little bits and pieces like the Steam Box. We heard about it for years in advance. We we now have the Steam Box. The Steam Controller, we heard about it in a year in advance. We now have the Steam Controller. Um, the, the Steam VR, we're, we're hearing about it. I think it's going to be the same thing. We're going to see it. Yep. They're they're kind of pushing to take over the home entertainment system though. Like that was their move with the Steam Box was they want to go head to head or toe to toe with with the typical console manufacturers. Which, as a PC gamer, I mean my PC gaming side says eh, I don't know. Mm-hmm. But then I think realistically, how many times do I hook the laptop up to the TV? <laughs> so essentially, mm-hmm. it is a console. Yeah. Um. So I think that we're going to see some good stuff there. I have hopes, like I said, and I'll say numerous times, I have I have high hopes for HoloLens. I had really high hopes for Google Glass, and I'm I'm really upset that it got, you know, scrapped because um, I think they I think the tech the tech behind Google Glass is brilliant and would work really well in an augmented reality system. I think right. that the fact that it got marketed kind of as a an all knowing oracle that was strapped to your face is what kind of threw it down the drain for them. Um, but I think that kind of tech where you could put on a pair of glasses, I could put on a pair of glasses and now we can interact in an augmented reality sense for video games. I mean, you think laser tag is fun (laughs) (laughs) or paintball, um, or what else we could play Mm -hmm. tennis. We could play soccer. We could take all of those Wii games that, that came out with Wii sport that has ridiculous sales numbers year after year. Incredible. Yeah. And we could have the augmented reality version of those anywhere we wanted. We wouldn't have to be in our basements. We could, um, you know, think about a, a group of of uh, little kids running around on a soccer field learning how to play soccer, uh, or the costs involved with somebody with the balls and having to maintain stuff. Okay, well, strap them into augmented reality and give them a virtual soccer ball to kick around, and and. You don't have to store the soccer balls anywhere. You just turn your glasses <laughs> off. That's excellent, and that's that's actually it's interesting that that really blows up and and, ex- and really solves one of the big problems of you know how and where do you experience VR? I give demos all the time, and I'll take a the, the Google goggles, uh, the sorry, the cardboard or the the new actually the the, the new uh, ViewMaster is actually a fun one to demo with. Have you, have you had a chance to play with that one actually? I haven't had a chance to play with it. I've seen it. That's the one that the, the, the phones fit directly. Into. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So for demos, whenever I'm out on the road, that's what I usually pull out and they work really, really well, but they're kind of dorky in a coffee shop doing stuff like that. And, and then you, you know, you hook up a VR rig in front of your desktop computer, but you're sitting in your chair and 
it kind of wants you to get up out of your chair, but your wires. And then there's the, there's the living room, which is probably where I think things are going console wise. But again, no one really knows for sure. And like, I was just looking at all the wires coming off the back of, uh, these, these devices too. The Vive, there's a new, uh, Vive demo that just came out today. And, uh, this woman's using this thing. Oh, the wires. You almost feel like they should, they should uh, roof mount, ceiling mount, like cable trusses almost <laughs> to handle some of these wires. It's, it's actually kind of silly, but it's interesting to see. But yeah, then, then this whole notion of just like, forget all that and, you know, take it out, take it out into the, your world a little bit more. And that's the, that's the beauty and that's the potential of augmented reality and sort of what Google Glass could have been and may still be. Who came out with one? I want to say Panasonic. Who came out with a a, a, a version of Google Glass with a, a, a little small CPU mounted to the side of the glasses and a heads-up display? Are you aware of that? No. It was. I'm just uh, having a quick peek to see if I can I'm find. I'm trying to see who did it, and and uh, again, it might have been on the verge. Uh, you know what? I'm I'm, I'm not going to stop the show for that. But somebody <laughs> is coming out with something uh, as well, and and the verge was like, uh, no, but. They're still trying, you know, and, and just what you described actually makes, makes really good sense. And actually one of our, actually, so the podcast that <laughs> before yours, so we've got a few queued up right now, but the one with Sean Stevens is coming up. Anyone who's heard the podcast will already know this, but uh, he's a, a lighting designer and uh, there's augmented reality technology that he uses in theaters where he wears the glasses and he can look around the theater and get a sense of the, the bulb life. And if a light is malfunctioning, he can look around the room and, and the augmented reality display will light up the lights that have burnt out bulbs or burnt out serv- servos. Excellent. Isn't that incredible? Like when I heard that, I was like, bingo. Like so lights just, went off. I just stumbled across a little piece of information that says that Google Glass is not dead mm-hmm. and that it has been revitalized under a new name called Project Aurea. Um, and it is part of the – Alphabet company holding. That's new. Well, you heard it here first, folks. So that that actually excites me because, again, mm-hmm. I think I do think that the the uh, well, even like you were just saying, it's kind of dorky to sit in a coffee shop with a full VR helmet on. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it would be a lot less dorky for people to be able to to sit there wearing a piece of glasses. I also think that for VR, with the latency issues that we still seem to have, and that uh, last week. I forget who was ranting about why they're they're not going to port to Mac is because the video cards aren't good enough, so they're just going to stay on the PC and and that that bodes the question for me. Well, why why are you depending on the external video card um, of a of a computer system for this peripheral? Why aren't you building it directly into the the devices themselves? Into the into the into the VR unit. Why doesn't the VR unit have its own GPU? It would eliminate the latency. I know that I have – like I have an emotive epoch. I don't know if you know what that is or not. But it's a 15-channel high-fidelity EEG brain scanner essentially that allows you to think and the computer responds to your thoughts. It's pretty fa- fascinating. Yeah, I got one of them lying around here actually. I think. Right. And so, I thought it was pretty no. cool. <laughs> well, I do. I, Why I do have, you have that? That's incredible. Uh, because it came out and I was really excited about it and the dev kit was super cheap. So okay. um, I was really, really excited and, and I've played with it and it's definitely got some uses. I mean mm. I don't have I don't have an unlimited amount of time or anything, so okay. I don't I don't get to play with stuff for as long as I like. But there's no real latency issues with it. And it's a wireless unit. 
So the problem with VR and latency issues that they seem to be having is that they're dependent on the video card on the system that you're connected to to do the driving. Okay. And that's a lot of data to try to push around. I mean, if mm-hmm. if any of your listeners know anything about game development or the way GPUs work, um, they understand GPUs are incredibly, incredibly fast. And the number of instructions they do, you know, per one twentieth of a second is ridiculous. So to try and depend on that across a wireless connection just seems like kind of a crazy way to go about it in the first place. I would, I would, I would be thinking that the VR units themselves would want to have their own high-end GPUs. That's an interesting way of thinking about it, and that that, that does, it, yeah, because you're transferring a lot of data two directions. Um, mm-hmm. Well, one direction and I guess video out, but I mean, yeah, there, there's a lot of there's a lot of things happening. But again, I'm not. I see these technical limitations, and uh, I do kind of look just one step beyond that. I know that they're going to get resolved. Mm-hmm. And I get really, really interested in thinking about how people are going to be using this um, once this gets resolved. We're, we're on the cusp here. We'll oh, be- absolutely. Absolutely. And then I also think about what are what are people like uh, Johnny Lee, the guy that discovered he could take his Wiimote and flip it around and turn it into a head tracking system. What are those guys going to do with the VR systems? If, if, we've, mm. <laughs> yeah. if we've got you know, full head tracking inside of VR, uh, which is essentially what we're, what we're going for in a, in a right. virtual environment. What kind of other neat tricks have, are we not thinking about because of the way we're looking at it? And this, and this was something that was hacked on the, on the Wemo. <laughs> yeah. Really? Yeah. Well, they took, they took what they, what he did is he built, um, a, a set of glasses, just a pair of safety goggles and put uh, <laughs> infrared LEDs in them so that his head was the tracking bar essentially. Oh. And so he put the glasses on himself and put the Wiimote on the TV pointing at him and then he wrote some software. Oh, that's to incredible. In, to hook it into, yeah, I'll send you the link to his video. <laughs> He built he built this you know, a typical 3D target room sure. um, that you'd find in a video game, and then he put with the head tracking system. It it actually looks like the the 3D room, like the targets are coming right out of the television set, and when you move your head around, it updates the view based on the position of your head, so you can, you could proverbially look around corners. I mean, if you've ever watched people playtest games, you see uh, scenarios where they come up to a, the edge of a wall and their their physical body moves to one side or the other to try and actually look around the wall, mm-hmm. uh, even though they're in a game. And, and his system, which he's released all his source code online and everything for, um, lets you do that and have the game respond based on where your head is. So it's just a head tracking system. But he did it because we the Wii Motes have a, a pretty high power high powered infrared LED. Uh, did they really? Eh? Yeah. Uh, so I, I'm I'm interested to see once once the VR stuff starts to roll out. Once yeah. it becomes, um, you know, I can go to Walmart or or Costco and and pick up a VR unit and bring it home and plug it into my console. Uh, mm. That's when I think we're going to see the real innovation and where we can go with this stuff. I think getting to that point seems seems to be proving some hurdles, mm-hmm. um, at least that are imposing temporary limitations. Like, oh, we're only going to release for PC. Yeah. <laughs> if you're yeah. only releasing for PC, <clears throat> does that mean you're not going on the Steam box? Mm, right. Oh. Yeah. <sighs> well, it's interesting you point out you talk about that, and 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 the first guest of this show, and actually just about every guest on our show 
um, has introduced the hacker element to to sort of the whole experience. It's like, you know what, VR is great, and these guys are mucking around. Let them have their fun with their, you know, billion-dollar valuations and thousand-dollar rigs. We're looking beyond that, and I think I think I think what you, what you just said was more of the same. It's like this is all interesting, um, more questions than answers right now, but the next step, or maybe two steps away from us, where we are right now, that's what we're that's what we're really looking forward to. And there's people are going to do that. People are going to do the equivalent of strapping a flipping the the Wii mote and putting the Wii on the TV. And uh, I think uh, that's what we're all excited about, and that's what I think is coming down the pipe. For sure, and I think you're really on the cutting edge. I think I think it's really exciting what you're doing with Liftlock Studios, the indie game scene podcast. I am really excited to see that because there's a really wonderful sort of synergy that goes on between the game industry and the VR and the AR industry, and then my background in film and animation. I see this all kind of coming together in this wonderful, gooey mess. Absolutely, and, uh, I'm 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 very excited to see how uh, choose your own adventures are going to show back up once once virtual reality is is a regular household thing. I think that'll that'll make for some interesting uh, subgenres of video games that we we can't quite do right now. What do you mean though by choose, choose your own adventure? Is that something? What do you mean? Yeah, by well, that? I mean you remember the choose your own adventure books, right? Based on your decision, you're going to go this way or you're going to go that oh, way. Oh, right. Yeah. Okay. I didn't make the connection. Of course. Yeah. For I, sure. So I just think that virtual reality gives us the ability to a greater to a greater depth. Uh, I mean, we've had games in the past like like L.A. Noir that mm. certain decisions within the game caused other effects to happen later on. But then we also have things like uh, No Man's Sky coming out where they're touting, you know, if I take my, my rifle here and shoot this rock face, it's going to be changed for everybody. And it's going to be permanently changed. So as that converges with a virtual reality environment, does that mean that we're going to get back into an easier flow of being able to change future events based on current choices. Yeah. And, and do we want that too? That's the other thing too. Like the whole, you know, there's a sit back, relax, enjoy the entertainment thing that people keep pushing this interactive into it. And people push away and it's like, no, I just want to enjoy the show. So we're going to find that sweet spot somehow. For sure. Yeah. Listen, it's it's crazy. It's more questions than answers, definitely. Listen, Robert, uh, what are you working on right? So, you, so you're you're busy with the studio. And anything else? Shows you, anything else you want to plug or anything going on right now? And how can people get in touch with you? Well, um, I'll tell you. People can get in touch with me. Uh, Twitter's probably one of the easier ways. I'm at Q Chaos, although Chaos is spelt with a zero, so it's Q C H A zero S. Um, that's probably one of the easier ways to get a hold you of you. You are very active on Twitter, so that would be uh, well, I recommend that. I, I'm on Twitter and I'm I'm watching the streams and reading the stuffs. I'm not necessarily saying things on a on a daily basis, but um, I do I do definitely pay attention yep. there. Or they can always email me directly at rfrench at robertfrench.ca because mm-hmm. I, I have my own domain. Or they could say hello at tigs um, at um, theindiegamescene.com. So hello at indiegamescene.com. Or they could say hello at liftlockstudios.com now. So I have those three things going on, plus I'm doing the teaching. Um, that's pretty much the <laughs> breadth and width of my plate and – Everything that it can contain at this at this particular point in time, although summer's coming, so Humber ends for the for the summer, and that frees up some cycles. So we'll, we'll see what happens. I am so happy you are so busy. 
I'm so happy that you uh, squirreled away some time for our show here. And uh, really, seriously, good luck with your show. I, I can hardly wait for it to come out, and I would encourage everyone to subscribe. And Robert, keep in touch. We're going to get we're going to have you back on. I want to find out more as things develop. I really want to hear what you have to think because I love your perspective. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much, Rick. Thank you so much for having me on the show. It was not a problem at all to carve out a little bit of time for you. Um, I would love to to come back and do a take two at some point after uh, some stuff resolves itself. We'll see where it actually ends up and. Uh, see what the predictions were like. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's always fun to roll back and listen to what we said and what actually happened. But that would be that would be next time. But uh, thanks, everyone, for listening to the show. Make sure you subscribe on iTunes or your podcast player. We always take feedback. Twitter's the best way, RDXYZ. And I'm Rick at RDX.XYZ. Drop me a line. Let me know what you think of the show. We will talk to you soon. Thanks again. Bye-bye.